Hey everybody, you're very welcome back to this week's episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Opter, and it's a real pleasure to get to chat to you again. This is one of our series of Young People's Voices. It's the second in our three-part series where we speak to young people about their experiences of pandemics, lockdowns, school closures, and overall, how they've experienced the last 12 months. A lot of people ask us the question around what is the impact on young people going to be in the longer term? And my answer to that is it's always going to be how long it goes on for. And as we hit the year anniversary, we've passed that now. Uh, it's a really important time to take stock and see where young people are at in terms of how they've experienced the last 12 months, what they see the future as, and maybe to ask them what they're struggling with. It's one of the things I've always learned as a therapist is that in order to help somebody, you have to understand what it is they want help with. And as adults, I think we sometimes make presumptions that we know what they need or want and oftentimes neglect the fact of asking them. And that's really important about this episode. It's about trying to understand from the lens of the child or the young person or the teenager what it is that they are struggling with, uh, what it is that they find challenging and how we as parents can best situate ourselves to help them. And the first thing we have to do is try and understand it. If we don't understand it, we can't manage it. And I was really enthusiastic about the last episode, but I was also very anxious. I wondered would parents tune in and listen because it wasn't directly parenting advice per se. But I have to say the parents of Ireland and across the globe have really Sean on this one, the, the download figures for our first episode were through the roof and we've focused very much on the primary school age in the first episode, but clearly from the figures of our, all, every record that we had was smashed in terms of download numbers on that episode because people were clearly very keen to know how young people felt, what they were struggling with, how they'd experienced the last year and for parents I hope, and then many people have gotten back in touch with me and said, we really got an awful lot out of that and I know now how to situate myself in terms of understanding what it is my child is going through. So we're delighted that it worked. And I have to say again, these episodes are quite a bit more tricky than your traditional one-to-one -one interview because there's so much editing. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of voices on each of the episodes. So it can be cumbersome and laborsome to, to kind of put these together. So again, I want to thank my good friend and, and producer Adam for uh, all his hard work on that. But. We think we have a great episode for you today. The second episode is, again, focused more so on teenagers and, and secondary school than perhaps the first one was. And our third episode, which we're going to do next, is going to focus on the 18 to 25, so that young adult group who are maybe in college or uh, third level or are in the workplace. And so we've got great episodes lined up, but let's get back to today's. One of the things we get here on the podcast is some emails in from various listeners and oftentimes with questions or comments or some lovely feedback. But one very special email came through to us from a young person. He was keen to maybe take part in the young person's voices feedback episode, uh, but maybe found it difficult to do that in a kind of a voice recorded way. So uh, I offered him the opportunity to email into us and I would read it out on his behalf. And I really want to just give you a flavor of his experience of lockdown and he told me that he would like to write to me about his lockdown coming out experience. The first lockdown was a bitter pill to swallow. My junior cert had been cancelled and there was a lot of uncertainty for the future. I have also seen it as a time for self-discovery. Just before lockdown one, I had commenced, I was really unhappy, extremely unhappy, in and out of school. 
I was being bullied a lot and was trying too hard to live up to what people wanted me to be rather than who I was supposed to be. Even though my family, who are an amazing support system, it was hard to tell people you love the most that you're struggling constantly and sad. So once the first lockdown had begun, it was able to take me away from my struggles at school like the bullies, the exam prep and just feeling alone. It gave me a lot of time over the course of those few months to think about things and work things out and gain a new sense of confidence. Don't get me wrong, though at times there was a true pain not being able to see my family and friends and being robbed of my everyday activities. It was a journey for me to find self-acceptance. Fast forward to when we were back in school again. TY was supposed to be the so-called best year of your secondary school. Uh, I had a new attitude, new style and a good outlook ahead. Yet even when everything in TY ended up being cancelled and I wasn't able to live up to everyone's expectations, I was still able to build new friendships and really show my true colours. A month before Christmas on Friday, 20th of November 2020, we had just finished LGBTQ plus week in school. I came home that day and I had thought to myself, I'm happy, I'm loved, I'm healthy. And it being LGBTQ week, I felt it appropriate. I'd finally built up the courage to tell my family that I was gay. And I couldn't have asked for a more loving, caring and accepting response from all of them. My parents, sister, grandparents, aunties, uncles, etc. Completely showered me in the love and took me, took a huge weight off my shoulders. My lockdown experience had many, many ups and downs. And at this stage, being in the fifth lockdown, I still managed to stay sane with the help of my family and friends. And though I'm still a work in progress, I know that I'm on the right path. I just can't wait for all these restrictions to be lifted. It also got me thinking. I got extremely lucky with the family that I was dealt with in this life and other LGBTQ people might not have that same acceptance from their families as I did mine. It can really be scary for people that are in the closet. There's a fear of being thrown out of your house, being isolated, being beaten or being rejected. The feeling of love. That fear that can delay someone coming out until they've reached adulthood or even never at all. And just think of all those years you could have wasted not being happy or becoming their true selves. So I'd like to leave some advice to parents whose child might have been looking to come out to them. Don't be afraid of the unknown or what you don't know. Your child will help teach you and mould you just as you have them. Who your child chooses to love will not change or affect who they are as a person. It's just them letting you more into their lives and opening another part of themselves to you. And finally, raise them in an environment where they know that they'll be safe and brave enough to be themselves because it will make it easier for them to come out and show you their true colours when they're ready to. At the end of the day, all you want for your child essentially is to be happy and feel loved, not only by you, but loved by themselves in their own skin too. Thank you so much for letting me share my story, Coleman, and I hope this helps and isn't too much. Many thanks, Cole. And I really have to thank Cole for his really insightful and poignant email. And of course, over lockdown, there has been so many challenges and it has been, you know, it's a year on pause where we kind of say, well, this is not the right time to do this or it's not the right time to do that. But this is a young man who has really shown us that, you know, even in the wrong time, doing the right thing is the right thing to do. And I'm so happy for him and for his family and for the response that he got and for many young people who are struggling with this. And I've you know, treated a lot of people over the time who would have struggled hugely with their own sexuality and gender and all those sorts of different challenges that they have, which is incredibly challenging. 
and the bravery and honesty of coming to terms with that for themselves and sharing it with someone else is really, really fantastic. And it is something with that has such integrity and courage uh, and something that I myself always have a great deal of respect for uh, and pride in. And so thank you for that, Cole. Uh, and again, another young person's voice that we really need to hear. Today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a number of wonderful young people. The first we're going to hear from are Nisha and Kiva who are, uh, well, Kiva's in sixth class, but Nisha is in fifth year. And then you're going to hear from Kathleen, who is a Leaving Cert student, who uh, has some really insightful views on what it's like to journey through the state exam years during a pandemic. And we've got Mira, who is a TY student, again, and a disenfranchised group who've lost out an awful lot, I think, in terms of so much of TY is focused on out-of-school activity that she shows some really great insights into that. So we've got a really packed episode, so I'm not going to delay any further. But as with the first episode, we have a set of questions that we asked all the young people. And we went through the uh, questions and they each answered uh, to what they felt was the best answer to those questions, the most honest answer to those questions. And the first question I started both episodes with was, what are you missing most over the last 12 months? And I tried to separate that from an activity and a person. And so the first people we'll hear from in terms of their answer to this question was Nisha and Kiva. And this is what they had to say. Nothing really in specific, but just like in general, just like even strangers, even, you know, just talking on, you know, the way to school or in a shop or anything. You don't really get that anymore. It's just kind of like, they're nearly afraid of you now. It's just, it's it's weird. It's really weird. So and in t- and in terms of an activity that you used to do or something that's that you can't do at the moment, what would be the thing that you miss the most? Yeah, well, I didn't really do many like sports. I'm not a sporty person. Uh, I did play badminton. I miss that, but like just you know going for a walk or even just sitting in the park with all my friends. You know, can't really. And what- do anymore. What about the shops? Would that be something that you miss? Yeah, definitely. Sure. Me, mom and Kiva and my little sister, we used to go, we used to live in the shops. Like we used to be in the marshes in Dundalk every weekend. And there's none of that, like nothing's open. So what's the point? So. So that's something you do miss? Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting there, the way Nisha speaks about it. I mean, in a lot of the first episodes in the primary school children, we had an interest in sport and they were really missing their organized structured activity. But we forget for teenagers, many teenagers, unfortunately, or fortunately, or just because they're not kind of have that tendency towards sporting activities, don't engage in sport. Kind of we see huge drop offs around 14, 15 years of age. But that group still have interests. And, you know, as Nisha said, going shopping with her parents or with her mom on a Saturday was a real occasion, something they looked forward to meeting up with our friends, just hanging out, chatting. These are, are really crucial developmental things that just because they're not formalized or organized doesn't necessarily mean that they're any less important. And I think Nisha makes a really good point that even though these things aren't scheduled and formally canceled, the loss of them is still really significant. And then we asked Quiva if she had any thoughts on what she was missing. Here's what she had to say. Well, I miss like meeting up with my friends outside, you know, and yeah, it's a bit, yeah, I just missed that. And what about activities or things that you used to do that you can't do at the moment? I wasn't really a sporty person either. Um, I play, I play piano 
and obviously that's closed over lockdown but I kind of miss that. And do you think over the when you're not playing doing your lessons over piano that over the time you'll kind of get rusty at that or, or that some of the stuff that you would have learned before you'll find hard to get back into? Yeah yeah it will get hard, be hard to get back into yeah. It's really interesting because a lot of parents have asked me about the loss of skill development over the last year. And I think from the point of view, maybe the priority was around academics and, you know, especially younger children, would they have lost out on fairly fundamental things like learning numbers, words, letters, sounds, etc. But as Kiva points out here, even something like piano or children who were in the middle of swimming lessons, you know, much of the momentum around continuing an activity like that is that the learning is in the traction and momentum that you have. And we oftentimes forget that children will have missed out on a huge chunk of learning in that. And so, for example, something like piano, if the child hasn't been able to continue that throughout lockdown, there will be a skill loss and maybe, and also an anxiety about returning to something that you haven't done in quite a long time. And I think as adults, we can really understand that as well. I don't know if people were part of a yoga class or Zumba class or something like that. But when we return after a year out, you know, there is that worry. And, you know, as somebody who organizes a, a tag rugby night on a Monday night, you know, when we're allowed to do that again, I am curious as to whether we'll get all those numbers back or will there be drop off? I'm hoping that people are bursting to get back and back playing, but have a year out of something like that. Yeah, there is going to be an interesting skill loss uh, and, that developmental trajectory is undoubtedly affected and, and Kiva points that out really, really well. The next question I asked the guys was, what did they learn from the last year? What were the things that they would do differently when the world presses play again? And they had some really interesting things about their reassessment of their value system and how things that maybe weren't that important before have suddenly become more important. And here's what they had to say. Well... Um, no, I used to definitely like, you know, I'm kind of a bit lazy, <laughs> you know, like I just kind of go with the flow and usually I'd be like, oh, you know, it's fine. I won't go out today to meet whoever. And like, you know, we'll, we'll change the plans for do a different day. Whereas I've learned like never to say no to like a plan or an event or something. I'm ready to go. Like I'm waiting to go. <laughs> so just, you know, just kind of just go with the flow a bit more, you know, just... So yeah, if you'd have known this was coming, you would have said a yes to a lot yes, more things before that. Definitely. Definitely. And how about you, Kiva? Anything you've learned over the year? Um, not to take things for granted either. You know, like if you have an opportunity to do something, like go for it and just do it because we can't do it now and it's just big change and it's that was a wonderful insight from Kiva and Nisha there about you know, maybe what we took for granted prior to lockdown, things like if plans were happening, we were, weren't really fussed about it. But as Nisha so wonderfully puts it, she's ready to go and she won't be saying no to many things in the future. And I really hope that's something that post lockdown we really take stock of and remember because that is really important. And I think we do pass up opportunities or certainly did in the past that the last year has told us actually this is important stuff and maybe these are the things that we need to be embracing a little bit more. The next person we spoke to was a young girl called Mira, who was a TY student, and she had talked about all the things that she had missed out on over the last year. And she had some really interesting insights because TY is an important year. And I think lots of young people, you know, look forward to it and the opportunities to do things outside of school and work experience, the whole 
reach outreach emphasis on on ty is one of its major strengths and unfortunately with the disruptions of this year many of those things weren't possible so we asked mira how was it how was ty for her and this is what she had to say i guess i've just missed like exploring in a way um going on day trips and just being able to venture more than five kilometers away from my house i think that's something i've really missed because um, I live in a town and once you've kind of done everything, um, it just starts to get a bit boring. So I've just missed, you know, going to see new places, going to the beach. Um, and in terms of a person, I guess everyone really, um, I've missed my family, um, like my cousins and my aunts, and I miss my classmates and teachers. Um, of course, I've tried to keep in touch with as many people as I can online, but I think it's just not the same as as like seeing everyone in person so yeah the next person we spoke to was kathleen and kathleen had some really good insights into what it was like to be a leaving cert student in 2021 so kathleen was that group of fifth years last year who were doing leaving cert this year and it was a really great opportunity to speak to someone who was really at the front line in terms of that and i asked kathleen what she missed the most over the last year and this is what she said to me well, I've definitely missed my friends and, you know, like my friends were always like a big part of my life. And it went, I went from seeing them like every day to not seeing them until from March to September. Like, yeah, there was times, but like there was times that I saw them in between, obviously, because when lockdowns eased, you know, I was anxious to get to see them. But there was still that level of it's different now. I can't give my friends a hug. I can't like really ask them about what they've been doing because we've all been doing the same thing, sitting at home and doing nothing. So that was like really hard. And I missed my family as well. Like I turned 18 and I barely got to see a lot of my family. Like I was lucky in that my birthday hit right as lockdown was opening up and like things were opening up again. Like, yeah, I couldn't go out for dinner with my family, but I still like, like my aunt came and visited me and we kept the distance and everything. But like, I missed having my family around me. And that was like, that was really hard because I am very, like, I, I do love my family a lot. In terms of an activity, I was, I am still part of like Scouting Ireland. And I had missed a lot of the year because I was working and I was really excited to get to the summer because we were supposed to go on to Kanderstag. We were backpacking across Europe, like a massive group of us. And of course, none of us got to do that. And it was like really heartbreaking because it was this thing that I was like, oh, I'm working and I'm saving money for this thing. I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to get it. And then it was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going. And like, you know, like I understand people are dying. The very last thing everyone's thinking about is an 18 year old backpacking, backpacking across Europe. But it was still this thing that I was really, really excited for. And I was like, oh, I don't get to do this now. That's a wonderful insight from Kathleen. And I think she names it herself. You know, the idea that this narrative that people are dying and so you can't be upset or, or, or let down about things that that are not as significant as that. And I really think that's been an unfortunate narrative to be honest because clearly Kathleen had been looking for this backpacking trip across Europe for a long time she'd invested money and time and planning into it and understandably was fairly devastated when it was cancelled or had to be cancelled it was a, a a developmental milestone lifetime trip that she had planned for and yes she wasn't in an ICU and yes she wasn't dying but that doesn't take from the fact that this was a really difficult experience for her and a loss, a significant loss. And I think we need to be mindful that young people's experiences are, are different to ours and trying to not place the significant spectrum of a 43-year-old onto an 18-year-old. And also she mentioned there about missing her 
her 18th birthday and missing that experience with her family. And again, another milestone missed. The next question I had for the young people was around that experience of being seen as a vector. And already in the conversation, Nisha has mentioned that it was odd being in shops and things. So I asked Nisha, Kiva, and Mira and Kathleen about their experiences of how they felt the world saw them as young people over the last 12 months and what that was like for them. And here's what they had to say. Well, it's just, you know, I remember the first lockdown back in March, you know, that was kind of when it was all really happening. It was really new. Nobody really knew anything about it. And, you know, it was just really weird. Like I didn't go out to the shops. Like now, like I'd go to do the grocery shopping with mom because I'm fine with it now. I've gotten over it. But like beginning last summer, like I wouldn't go to the shops or anything. It was just like, oh my God, no, because everyone's going to look at me. And like, they just didn't, I felt like they didn't want like kids or anybody like, like unessential kind of, you know, like to go out. Anyone unessential. Isn't that a really interesting way of putting it? I mean, again, about our own importance and, the our internal working model of how much worth we place on ourselves and that idea of essential versus unessential was a really unfortunate narrative for many people I think as adults you can probably make the adjustments around what is meant by that but for young people to feel not essential I'm not entirely sure that's a good message we have to put for them especially around self-worth and self-belief and self-value and I really like the way Nisha put that. I mean, it was, it was saddening to hear her place it in those words, but a really honest reflection of maybe what it felt like to be a young person. And we asked a little bit more about this concept of being a vector, and they had some more to say on it as well. So here's what they said. It was just... And how, is, how did that feel? Um, it was... It was like, I don't know. I don't know what the feeling was. It was just upsetting a little bit, and it was a bit, like, scary. I was like, oh, my God, like... Is this going to be forever? Is this actually what's happening right now? It's just so surreal. I didn't think like that would ever happen in my life, like ever. Me neither, I have to say. (laughs) I think there's a really interesting insight there. What we know about anxiety is that it is the fear of the unknown. And anything that is kind of has a finiteness to it or an end date is much more manageable. And we I remember saying, making the comparison between, you know, the Bush Tucker trials in I'm a Celebrity, you know, when people are trying to encourage people, they're saying, you've only 30 seconds left, you've only a minute and a half. And so there was the, the finite of it, the finite nature of it meant that it's more survivable. But Nisha's point here about, is this ever going to end? Is this just the way it is now? And the kind of infiniteness of that experience and how it was for all of us. And the longer it went on, the more infinite it became would indicate how our anxiety has accumulated over time. And again, without that end date or finiteness, it becomes really difficult to manage. And that fear of the unknown becomes ever more striking. The next person I asked about the, the kind of vector narrative was Mira. And here's what Mira had to say. Yeah, I think definitely, like, especially at the beginning of this pandemic, um, there was definitely a, a narrative there that Uh, young people were super spreaders and going to school and just spreading the virus but um, I just try to remember that if like we do follow the rules and if if you wear your mask and um, then you're not more of a vector than than anyone else really so yeah. A really sensible view here by Mira which is she's concentrating on the variables that she can control and not getting upset about the variables that we can't and I think that's something that we've learned over the lockdown that Many of us have kind of 
gotten upset about the futileness of worrying about the variables we can't control and whether that's people going to Tenerife to get their teeth done or house parties in student accommodation or Golfgate, etc. These are all things that we can't control and have no influence over. So the anxiety feels much more overwhelming. And when we're trying to manage anxiety, what we need to do is put the challenge in perspective and reassure ourselves of our own ability. So what anxiety does, it makes us overestimate the challenge and underestimate our own ability. And really brilliantly here, Mira tells us about concentrating on the things that she can control, trying to manage the variables that are within her control, like her mask wearing, her sanitizing, and that helps her to feel safe. And also, is, as she really rightly points out, is trying to make other people feel as safe as possible around us. And I really worried about that message. I can understand why we were told to behave like we were toxic. And remember in the early phases, there was this message that you have to behave as if you have coronavirus. And the idea that that's obviously a very fear-focused way of motivating people. And fear is, is very effective at motivating people to comply. It's just not very good at, at encouraging understanding. But from Mira's interpretation here, I feel she has a great understanding of how best to manage it and, and fair play to her. The next person we asked was Kathleen. And Kathleen had a very interesting experience because as well as being a 18-year-old student in Leaving Cert, she also worked in retail. And she has some really interesting insights on the vector narrative for people working in retail or in those experiences. So here's what Kathleen had to say. Uh, for the first one, I definitely felt like kind of like this contaminated species a lot when I was still working in retail because like that was I worked in retail right up until August of last year because I wanted to focus on my leaving cert and like I kind of felt like when I was like talking to a customer and like trying to help them through because I worked in a computer store so like I had to talk to people I was behind the desk I was one of the help staff I was like talking to them and they'd kind of like I'd be like you know yeah 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 and then they'd be like oh are you still in school and I was like oh yeah and then they'd all just like immediately take a step back and I was kind of like I haven't been in school for months I haven't seen my friends in months. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything. What, like the only people I see are the six people that I work with. Like I'm not going around. I'm not doing, I'm not having parties. And it kind of like, it was very much like, why are you taking a step back from me? I know I'm safe, but if I took a step back from you, you would be insulted. I very much felt like there was this disconnect. Like this, this glass between me and you, there's this, like this mask. I'm wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask. We're two meters away from each other. Like, I'm not this infected species. And like me and all my coworkers were two meters apart. We're wearing our masks, we're washing our hands. And it was very much like, why are you treating me like I'm contaminated when for all I know, you could be contaminated? The next question I asked the young people was the experience of cancellation of events and how that had affected their schedules over the last 12 months. What had they, what has had to be canceled and how did they react to it? And Kiva had something interesting to say about that. Yeah. Holidays was definitely like the highlight of the year, but I guess we can't really go now because all traveling services is closed and non-essential traveling is closed. And I guess it's just, it, yeah, it is a big change. And I miss going on like holidays like Spain or France, but I guess it's just the way the world is now and we just have to deal with it. <laughs> it's just the way the world is now and it's just something we have to deal with again. We're seeing that resignation creep into young people's narratives. That's a really unfortunate way in which children and young people have become fatalistic. Kiva's 12 years of age and she's just resigning herself that life is like that now. And again, I think this is really difficult for young people and really hard. And I think she gives us a real insight into 
maybe the significance of the last year on their own hope. Another aspect of Kiva's life as a sixth class person was her confirmation. So I asked her about what the plans were for her confirmation, whether it had happened and how it went. Well, we don't really know a specific date. We have a date, but we don't know if it's going to go ahead. And I guess we'll just see what's going to happen. And I'm not too worried for it because it's just, you know, you just have to see what's going to happen. And from the point of view, of when, when you have dates in the future, do you feel kind of, oh, that's most likely not going to happen, so you don't kind of get hopeful about it? Or do you still build yourself up for it? Well, I am quite looking forward to it, but I'm not getting my hopes up too much in case it doesn't go ahead. The next person I spoke to about this was Nisha, and we talked about the cancellation of events for her age group, which would be the kind of 17-year-olds. And here's what Nisha had to say. Yeah, well, definitely like last summer, you know, because it only happened in March. So all of January, February, even Christmas, like I remember buying loads of concert tickets and being like, wow, this summer is going to be great. Like, you know, did our work in school and then had something to look forward to during the summer. So it's been really like upset and disheartening, like having everything cancelled because I just feel like it's a lot of like, you know, all work, but no play. Like we're doing all this work. We're back to school now. And it's just been... Like there's nothing to look forward to, you know, not going out the weekend, like not even about going out, just even some sort of social interaction, like with anybody nearly at the weekend. doesn't even have to be a friend anymore. I just need somebody to talk to. Um, but yeah, no, it's just been really upsetting about all my concerts and that. But even my uncle lives in Australia and he was supposed to come home for three or four weeks there. It would have been last summer, but obviously... We were in a lockdown. He lives in Australia, so they were also in a lockdown. And God knows when he'll be able to travel home. And that's really upsetting, you know. Haven't seen him in two, three years now. And he's kids and they're getting older and I'm getting older. And it's just, it'll be different when they come back. I really got choked up there listening to Nisha talk about her uncle in Australia. And I suppose from the point of view of I would be familiar with people who I know who are living away and friends of mine whose siblings are living away. And it is a really difficult time for people to be missing their family, to wonder when they'll see them again. And I guess the uncertainty of it all. And uh, it really hit home there as Nisha spoke about her uncle that, you know, although the person we know may be well and they're not unwell or there's no issue with them, our lack of access to them does create a loss in ourselves or a loss of access to the people that we love. Freedom of movement is really important. And when we don't have that, it just makes us really anxious if we can't access somebody. And that is described as kind of the locked door phenomenon. So if I was sitting in a room with you and we were chatting and everything was going fine, it was a very pleasant chat. But if I got up and just locked the door from the inside and put the key in my pocket, your anxiety would arise, not because anything threatening has happened, but merely because your freedom of movement has been restricted. And so the idea that when we we have siblings or family members or close friends abroad and we can't get to them should we need to and they can't get to us should they need to, that does create a huge anxiety. And I think for people, if you're feeling that loss or that pinch or that sadness around that, that's utterly understandable. And uh, as Nisha so beautifully put it here, it's just really upsetting. And I think we need to accept that and not give ourselves a hard time for being sentimental or overdramatic. This is a real thing. And these are real losses. 
And this is a really challenging time. The next question I asked Kathleen was how she coped, how she responded and reacted to the cancellation of events. And this is what she said. I feel like I was like nearly everyone else at the very start. I was angry. I was annoyed that this thing that I've been looking forward to was like was cancelled because of something that I didn't really. I was kind of I've been saving my money. I've been working hard for this. And then like you kind of you go through the five stages of grief in a way, obviously not to the same degree, but like it kind of took me, it didn't take me long to reach acceptance because I was kind of like, there's a global pandemic. And like, I suppose like, it's not fair of me to be mad about this when people are dying. But um, there was still, there was still anger and upset there. And it was very much like a sense, like this is going to be my life now for the next, for the foreseeable future. I'm going to have to cancel plans. I'm not going to get to see my friends. I'm not going to get to like do things and leave the country or even leave the county really. And it was kind of like this, like, hopelessness had settled over me and I like it took me a long time to crawl out of that hopelessness in the like crushing weight of despair because like everyone was miserable by summer and the weather was nice and no one could go anywhere and there was heat waves and then there was rain it was just I was very hopeless and like miserable during the summer especially after the cancellations and stuff I don't know if the hopelessness got worse or if I just started ignoring it because the last lockdown, like I was very much just basically like, like I was doing school from home and I was kind of just like, I don't care. Like I, like I just reached this very apathetic stage where I was like, I don't care about this. I don't care about school. I don't care about anything. I just like getting up in the morning, I'd get up like five minutes before my class started and I'd, I'd roll in and like, I literally would be doing class in my bed because there was nowhere else to go. My mom took the study. My sister was in her room. The kitchen's too loud. So I was just in my room, like looking at my laptop and listening to the teachers speak. And like half of it was going in. And like, that's like, I don't know whether I just ignored the hopelessness or if it was still there and I just didn't notice. But I reached a very stage where I was like, I just don't care. And that was like, that was kind of when I got like a bit like, oh, okay. This, this is bad now. I do need to drag myself out of this. Like that was kind of my wake up call when I was like, I was sitting in school one day and I was just like, I could drop out. I could drop out and make nothing of my life. Like what's it going to do? There's a global pandemic. No one's going to care. And then I was like, wait. Some really interesting insights from Kathleen here about apathy and indifference and pointlessness. And I think that's probably a phase that a lot of us have hit this idea, but the the idea of dropping out and not continuing I read somewhere recently that the description for how we've been really for the last 12 months, which I think describes it quite well, is languishing. And this idea of languishing is that we're not depressed or sad, uh, but we're kind of joyless. And in the absence of that joy, that flatness of languishing means that we, over time, become indifferent to the indifference, um, which I think is a, a fairly good way of describing how it has been. But this, the cost of apathy if Kathleen were to opt out or to not go back or people were to defer college places, these are significant impacts in the trajectory of lifelong learning for young people. And again, these are probably the, the experiences and, and thinking patterns that we're not really aware of in terms of motivation, enthusiasm, drive and desire, which are fundamental to how we function. Um, and the absence of that has, without a doubt, had its impact on young people, as Kathleen has put so well. Very much, there's a lot of anger there because people at the very start, and especially now again, are very much like, oh, all these teenagers are just going out and they're meeting their friends and they're ignoring the guidelines. And it's like, I have never broken a single guideline. None of my reasonably large group of friends have ever broken a lockdown because we understand that we have family members 
who are high risk and who are at risk. And we don't want to be the person to bring it home to them. Like my family were still a carer for my 96 year old great aunt. And I couldn't live with myself if I knew that I had brought COVID home, given it to my dad, who then gave it to her. Like I and people are so quick to like judge the younger years. And like I'll admit the year I'm in sixth year and the year below me, they were throwing parties before like in December and stuff. And I was angry. I was angry. And I was like, why are you doing this? You, you, you complain that people give us a bad rep and then you go and you throw parties. Like, where is your logic coming from here? Kathleen makes a very interesting point here about the differences in approach that you have to lockdown measurements, restrictions, no, no different than adults, where there's different views on what is needed or appropriate. And she describes the kind of split in the camp very well in terms of even young people having different ideologies about how to behave, manage and react to the public health measures. And I do understand that there are people who do break guidelines, people my age. I'm not going to say that we're all perfect because we're not. I can't speak for everyone. But it just felt like everyone was very much like, oh, these youngsters are just going out and they're ignoring guidelines. When nearly everyone I know my age wears a mask. But when I worked in retail, I would have to fight with some like 30, 40, 50 year old customers to just consider putting on a mask because I'm protecting you. Can you not protect me? The next question I asked the young people was, how did they feel heard by wider systems, albeit government, grown-up, teachers, Department of Education, etc.? And this is what Mira had to say. Yeah, I mean, I think myself and other young people, I think we have been heard in, in some cases, but I feel that only when we've been extremely vocal in voicing our concerns. And I think as young people... Often we, we don't always have the confidence and motivation and um, ability to, to put our thoughts on the table because um, I, I think like we often feel like, you know, we, we don't really matter as much, as you said, as the people who are really suffering because of, of COVID. Um, so I think, yeah, when, when we have the ability to be super loud in, in voicing our concerns, then we are listened to. But. I think in an ideal world, those at the decision-making table would directly approach us and ask us, you know, what's been working for you and what hasn't. Um, in my school, a group of us students formed a student well-being committee because we saw that the young people's well-being were being really negatively affected by, by these new restrictions. For example, we're sitting apart, we're wearing masks, no more group work, uh, no more like connection with our peers so we like put some concerns forward to management and thankfully they they really did listen um so I think you know if you are a principal at a school or something like that you know approach your your students and ask them for for their thoughts because we we as young people we do have opinions um I just don't sometimes don't know how to put them across in the best way so yeah be direct and, and approach us I love Mira's approach here and it echoes a lot of things that young people say to me on a regular occasion. And I remember one young person saying to me, I have a lot of things to say. I just don't want to say them. And again, I think that's a really important part that we ask the question. Um, and, you know, this idea that the more we listen, the less they shout is, again, a principle that I think I believe works. Um, but Mira has spoken quite clearly here about how the bit of advocacy that they engaged in in her school worked out well when they felt heard by their teachers. The next people I asked about whether they feel heard by the wider system was Kiva and Nietzsche. And this is what they had to say. Well, no, because like 
when they closed the school, it was a bit hard because online school is a bit more stressful and I don't really have the motivation to do that, you know? And it wasn't really good for like our social inter interaction. Like we were at home every day doing nothing, sitting in the room, looking at four walls. Like, um, but I don't think I've been heard over the past year, but I guess school's back open now. So it's been better now. And I've been coping a lot more better. I am part of the school union in my school and like, We've never been asked to give our opinions or, you know, they're not really looking for our opinions. It's kind of like what they say goes nearly. And I get that in a sense, you know, we all have to do the right thing and whatever, but then what's the right thing for the young people when the school closes? Cause that's really going to affect us mentally. Nisha makes a very good point here. And the difference between being heard at a local level. We've spoken already about, you know, maybe at government level where young people maybe haven't felt heard. But the difference here between the account of Nisha and Mira about how their local schools incorporated what they had to say. And I travel schools the length and breadth of the country. And, you know, when it comes to something like, I don't know, an anti-bullying policy or some sort of an initiative, the more successful ones are the ones that are developed by the students, for the students, where they feel that they've had some sort of an involvement in, in in the organic development of it. And I think it's a, it's one word that we need to, you know, again, going back to the more you listen, the less I shout. I think a policy that's developed for students, not just giving them what they want, but, you know, giving them what they need as well, but feeling that they were part of that. And, you know, I think it's far more effective to have a policy that develops from the inside out rather than something that's maybe, you know, designed by board of management and stuck on the wall in the form of a leaflet or poster. So I think what we're learning here is that involving young people in decision making impacts on how that decision is carried out and implemented in real terms. The next person we spoke to was Kathleen. And remember, Kathleen was a Leaving Cert student. And so they had a very turbulent time with whether it was going ahead or not. And, and Kathleen has some really interesting viewpoints to say on this topic. And very much with the Leaving Cert, there was a lot of anger there because it felt like we weren't being listened to. And I'm I'm happy with what they did with the Leaving Cert, with the decision that they made. But I also acknowledge that not everyone's going to be happy because you can't make everyone happy. And that was very much like, but up until then, it was like, you're doing it. No, you're not. You're doing it. Wait, no, there might be accredited grades. Wait, no, you're going back to school. Wait, no, you're not going back to school. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Norma says you're going back to school. No, no, no. All the teachers unions say you're not going back to school. And it was very much like, well, someone just listen to us. Like the news doesn't have to know whether we're going back to school. We have to know whether we're going back to school. Like it just felt like everyone had a say except for us. Here, Kathleen goes on to talk about the differing opinions, which is understandable when you've such a, a large group of people around what the best plan was for the Leaving Cert. And she speaks brilliantly about what that was like for different cohorts within the sixth year group. I had friends who didn't want to go back to school because online school, again, people got comfortable in the like apathy of it all. And the thought of going back to school and having to break from that apathy was very, very scary. And I'll admit I fell into that bracket too. But I also acknowledge that if I have to, if I'm going to sit a leaving cert, I can't sit it after sitting all, like spending all my time at home. I do need to be broken out of this cycle. There's a lot of anger to answer in short. There was a lot of anger. <laughs> some people wanted the choice of both. Some people wanted everyone to do predicted. Some people wanted everyone to sit the leaving cert and we were all fighting with each other. And I think that in a way, like we were all just so angry and we had nowhere else to put it that we all just sort of like, like there was very much like people would be like, oh, I want to sit the leaving cert or like, I want there to be an option. And people were like, well, I want predicted grades. That's not fair. I shouldn't have to sit the leaving cert. And it was like, it was like, 
I understand why, because we were all just angry and we had nowhere else to go with it because no one was listening to us. And like, it just kind of felt like we were all so angry that we were just like, you know what, there's no one else to take it out on. We might as well take it out on each other. An interesting point there that Kathleen makes about where you don't feel heard from wider society, that maybe it creates division amongst each other. And that's the whole dynamic of cabin fever is that we take it out on those nearest to us as opposed to those who perhaps deserve it. I then asked her about her experience of last year uh, and the disruption to the fifth year group because I was hearing time and time again that that group were really overloaded with work from September to Christmas and I asked Kathleen was that her experience of it? Uh, Like September to December it very much felt like every single like every single week I seemed to have like piles and piles and piles of homework and like I understood it and most teachers were like this is what I'm like in a normal year I'm like but this isn't a normal year this mm. isn't like I've been at home I was like literally fifth years were just forgotten about we all went home and everyone except for third year and, and, and sixth years were forgotten about and that was understandable we understood why they were doing that but then of course when we came in this year they were like oh god we forgot about you guys you're six years now I guess we're supposed to care now and they're doing the exact same thing with the fifth years this year like the fifth years are also missing out on a massive part of their curriculum. Like obviously we missed March to May. They're missing um, January to, I think they come in not next week, the week after, depending on how cases go. And it's like, you guys had a chance to fix the mistake you made last year, which was forgetting the fifth years and not implementing new things for the fifth years. And you just turned around with the exact same thing. And like the workload between, like, again, the workload between September and December was just insane. Like I had tests nearly every week. I had an essay. I had a massive like history essays, English essays, religion essays. Like I was having, I just had essays upon essays and then homework assignments. And then some were due for, weren't due for a week. The one, other ones were due for the next day. So then the ones that were due a week, you just keep pushing them back and back and back. And eventually like I just cracked in like October, I just completely cracked. And I was like, I can't do this. And I like, it got to the stage where like all my teachers were like, okay, like do you need help and I'm like yes I need help I can't do this by myself I just like and I had to reach out to all my teachers and be like I can't I literally cannot continue at this workload or else I will just collapse and I was really lucky that my school were able to kind of like pick me up this was a common story I was hearing at this point last year that the the volume of work that many of these students were getting was completely overwhelming um, and I understood that teachers needed to make up for the last time in the curriculum but that last time wasn't the fault of the students in that way and really felt for this group because they really were cracking under the pressure when it was when when the assignments and the tests were coming at a rate of knots the next thing we spoke about was the impact of school closures now we heard last time about the impact on primary school so this was about trying to find out how the school closure and remote learning was impacted by the secondary school group so let's hear from Nisha about her experiences of remote learning and the school closures. Um, I don't really like, I don't really think so too much. I don't, I don't really, I used to keep up with everything like last year, but I've kind of gotten like, I don't, I can't listen to it anymore. It's just repetitive every single day. So I don't know. I'm just, like, there's never really been like a young person's voice you know we've never actually had someone we then asked Mira about her experiences in TY of the school closures it's been up and down for me um working online um thankfully my teachers have been really amazing in trying to 
to make the best TY for us, like um, online. We've been doing a lot of courses and, and attending online events. Um, but I guess it, it's been hard just sometimes to find the motivation. Um, and it's, it's like I've had to build up the skill of, of being like almost fully independent in, in learning. And it's not always been easy for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's been up and down. There's been days when I had absolutely zero motivation and other days when I'd be jumping out of bed and trying to find things to do. But I think um, for me, I've just learned to try and keep as busy as I can, but also to try and remember that um, we can't be productive all the time. We're gonna have days when um, we just don't have the same energy as we usually do. And that's okay. I think as young people, we have to learn to give ourselves a bit of space and time to, to build back up our strength if we feel like we don't have any. I, do, I don't think that's just young people. I think that speaks to every, you know, in terms of we've <laughs> all kind of give ourselves a license to, to implode from time to time because yeah. that's the nature of, of how things are. Yeah, homeschooling was very hard. Like, I had no motivation at all and there was just loads of work and just being thrown out there and like, I know I do that in school every day, but it's not the same sitting at your desk for like three hours straight even. And it's just been hard, but I guess at the end I was pretty used to it. Um, and I kind of like felt a bit bad when I didn't do it, but I just didn't really have that motivation to do it. And I couldn't force myself to do it, you know. But um, back to school now, so it's good. So big it. difference. Game changer when you're in school. Yeah. And again, Kiva talking about having to motivate herself and the difficulties. Like, this is too much to be asking 12-year-olds to do. I mean, self-directed learning at that age is it's a task beyond their ability, I think, in many ways. And what she's describing is a very normative and understandable developmental struggle. And again, I suppose it points to what we have been asking our children to do over the last 12 months, which is maybe beyond their skill set. Nisha also had some interesting views on the remote learning challenges, but also speaks a little bit about the challenges of returning to school as she's just been back and what that's like in the new abnormal school environment. Yeah, like it was hard, like, you know, school starts at nine and doesn't end till half three. And nearly every day I had a back to back classes, you know, you'd have about 10, 15 minute break. So every couple of hours, like just to get a snack or whatever. But and then, you know, you get off the calls at half three and then from then till that like evening, you just hear like pings from like the teams, you know, that app Then pings go through my head every day. They give me nightmares and um, you just hear them, you know, this assignment, this assignment's due, you know, like a Zoom call for tomorrow scheduled for 9 a.m. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm only off that Zoom call and there's another one scheduled. You know, it's tough. It was, it was just a lot of, all at once and then you know back to school now and I was like yeah it's gonna be good you know can't wait to get back to school and see people and you know kind of like it's a step in the right direction to some sort of normality but you know back to school now and it's like it's I don't know it's nearly the same you know I know I was online and I wasn't leaving my house that much and now I am but I'm only leaving it to go to school so it's you know um without getting yourself in trouble. Uh, what's it been like being back in school? And so what's the environment like there? Yeah, 
yeah see I thought online classes were dreadful like I hated them and I was like excited to go back to school but now that I'm back to school I'm like oh maybe I'd like the online classes again <laughs> um it's just it's different it's you know it's just it's it's not a nice place to be you know because again like I said previously like it's all work no play like you're sitting there six hours with your mask on that's tough I have to say like um so you're sitting there just and like you're nearly afraid to talk to anybody you're kind of like oh my god will I be given out to like you know and we're even we're like spaced out like socially distanced and like it's hard to even talk to anybody like across from you because you feel like you're meters apart but yeah it's just it's not a good experience so does it still feel a bit lonely even though you're back together in terms of being back in school yeah definitely I think it even feels lonelier if that even makes sense like you know they're there and you're there with them but like there's no interaction like at all so it's it's even worse what a brilliant insight from Nisha here about the challenges of being even in school and in the environment that it's different. And I think that's really important for us to remember the school that children left on the 12th of March last year is a very different place to the place that they've gone back to and the spaces and difference. And I know from recording big school last year for, for Virgin media, the impact of that return and trying to readjust to the new rules and regulations and the, the stress of that, which means that the return to school has been, equally very difficult for children and young people. It hasn't been as easy as maybe we would just imagine pressing play again. And I think that's maybe an indication of what it's going to be like for the rest of us when we get to return to normality, that it is going to be, again, not the normal that we left. And I wonder about us being able to return to some level of pre-COVID functioning and how long that will take. But Nisha so beautifully puts that around it's all work and no play. And I really think that's a phenomenal insight. And, um, you know, the way in which she's put that has encapsulated, I think, the experience for many. It's very hard to motivate and be enthusiastic when we're not getting the rewards for it. And, you know, motivation by fear or motivation by incentive, um, they are very different things. And I want to thank Nisha for her honesty in that one. The last thing I asked the young people was their opinions on social distancing. It's something that came up in the episode last week around the longer term impacts of what we've had to do. And again, because this is the new abnormal, it's something that we just have to do now, but it's not who we are. So I asked the young people, what's it going to be like when we don't have to social distance anymore? And here's what they said. Yeah, I think when we are allowed to uh, do that again, it will be very strange at first. and there will be a lot of disconnect there. I mean, we have learned so many new behaviors that I think will take time to try and like unlearn. Um, But I just think overall, like the recovery from this pandemic is gonna take a long time. Um, I think it's not gonna always be easy to try and remember that, you know, you can't hug people again. Um, But hopefully soon we'll be able to do all these things again and be able to forget all of these strange learned behaviors like elbow bumping and things like that. In terms of the impact of social distancing, so the hugging and the shaking hands, we can't do any of that sort of stuff. What do you think it would be like when we're allowed to do that again? I'll go with Kiva on that one first. <clears throat> yeah, it'll be a big change because like, 
I've, it's been like a year since I actually like hugged any of my family, you know, and it's going to be a bit different. Like, oh my God, there's actually someone hugging me right now. I haven't, you know, hugged anyone in ages. And yeah, it will be a bit different, but. Would you be nervous about it or looking forward to it? Looking forward to it. <laughs> Great. And how about you, Nisha? I think a bit of both. Like, uh, I'd definitely be looking forward to it, obviously, but. You know, you'd be a bit nervous. You're kind of like, oh, am I allowed? Like, is this person okay with it? Because you don't know their views and everything. It's kind of like, oh, like, should I be doing this? You know, I think it's always going to be like, for the next while, like, even if, you know, restrictions and that do ease, I think it's definitely going to be like, you know, not everybody's the same. Not everybody is like as okay with it as you would be or whatever. You know, it's just, it's a bit like, oh, it's, it's a bit nervous. It's a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be different people are going to be have different levels of anxiety. There's going to be yeah. there people that are mad to be hugging people and then people who kind of, you know, uh, so it's going to be different. But um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely think you're right. I think we're going to have to be looking for consent. Kathleen, and this is what she said. I was very sociable. I was a very kind of like, I was, I was able to like, like, I didn't really cringe away from hugs. I love hugs. Like it was like a big thing of mine. But having like gone back to school and seen my friends again, I'm very much like cringing away from it. And like, even with just like my mom or my dad, I'm very much like, no, like it's not, I'm not comfortable with it anymore. And I've noticed that recently that I've like, because if there was such a massive stigma on it, I was very much like, okay, like personal space, like contact has just become very like abnormal and uncomfortable for me, which is upsetting because a lot of my friends are very hooky people. And like someone, like someone will come in, like give me an air fistful and I'll like cringe back. And then you can, I can kind of see them being like, oh, and I'm like, no. I, I know that hurts when I do that, but I don't mean that. I just, I, I'm much more uncomfortable with people in my space now. And I don't know if that's a result of the, it probably is a result of the pandemic, but I'm very much less comfortable with people in my space. And before, like my friends and I, we would always like hug, fist bump, stuff like that. Like the last day before school ended, we all were like, okay, this is the last hug we might give each other for months. And that was before the COVID got bad. Like that was before we, anyone knew anything was happening. So I was like, I'm going to hug all my friends goodbye because I don't know when I'm going to just see them again. Like I might see them in two weeks. I might see them after Easter. I might not see them till like May or July. Like I didn't know when I was going to see my friends again. And like ever since like coming back to school and stuff, like I have one friend and she'll like go to give me like an air hug and I'll be like, nope, stop that, please. Nope. And do you think that will get better? I, I half hope it does and I half hope it doesn't because if it does then like I kind of feel like like if it does I do want to hug my friends I do want to be comfortable hugging my friends again but there also still is a level where I'm like it's not like when corona, like coronavirus won't just like disappear off face of the earth and like the flu still exists other diseases still exist and like part of me is like maybe it's a good thing that I'm not like constantly bothering my friends for affection you know because some of my friends aren't very affectionate like aren't very physically affectionate they choose to like they have different love languages than me and like we make it work so I'm like maybe it's a good thing I'm not like hounding my friends into giving me a hug as much anymore the next thing I asked the young people about was this experience of loneliness over the last 12 months and they all had something really interesting to say but let's start out with how Mira was experiencing loneliness over the last year for me I've just found that being social has become so difficult I mean um, maintaining relationship relationships online takes a lot of effort, a lot of initiative, and sometimes you just don't have that to give. So 
I found that um, I've become distant in a lot of friendships. Um, but uh, I think there, there have been a lot of good moments online when I have felt like I've been connected uh, with other people, um, playing games with my friends online and on Zoom calls. Like, um, I think that has been really important for me. Um, but again, it's not the same as being in person. And I think a lot of young people are really struggling with just not being able to, to talk to their friends anymore or hang out with them. Um, and yeah. This is a really interesting observation by Mira here because I suppose we forget as adults the importance of friendships for adolescents. Again, you know, we tend to have way more friends in our teenagers than we do maybe in our 30s and 40s and 50s. And so the importance that peers play in our development and our lives are much more central, I think, than maybe they perhaps appear to older people like myself included. Um, and Mira makes a really good point on this one. So let's hear what Kathleen had to say. Not really. There was sort of this disconnect. Like in my brain, it was very hard to understand that it was more than just me and a voice in a room. Like it, to me, it just kind of felt like I was sitting in front of my laptop and I was just watching a video. And like there would be several times where I'd like, I'd need to go to the bathroom and I'd like go to pause the video as if this wasn't like a live class that I was in. And I'd kind of be like, this is, this is a class. I can't pause a class. It's live. And I very much had a disconnect from a lot of my friends. Like a lot of even just people like everyday people who I would like say hi to or talk to in class. Like it was very much like I don't have that anymore. The only person I had to socialize with my, was, with was my mother. And like I love my mom, but like I can't see her seven days a week, 24-7, no break from her. Like um, it was very much like, a oh, my God, it is literally just me and a voice in a room. Like that was it. You know, I think when we are spending so much time on screens and disconnected from our actual physical worlds and physical environments it can the, the, the lines do become blurred in terms of what is real and what is not um, and I think Kathleen hits on a really important point there the next question I asked in light of our conversation about disconnect I asked them about connection in terms of social currency and the challenges of engaging with friends and shooting the breeze when in actual fact we're languishing a lot in a kind of a nothingness and here's what Kathleen had to say about that like there was nothing happening in my life that was of any interest to anyone so it's kind of just like I guess I'll just not talk to anyone because it was like like again like talking became a chore it was like oh I have to text my friend back they text me something important I should definitely respond and like my my message was just like yeah no yeah I'm fine how are you and it was very much like I just felt very dull in talking to people and like like four of my friends turned 18 over um, the lockdown while we were still like, before we went back to school. And I was very much like, oh, I love my friends, but do I really have to text them happy birthday? Cause like, what, like, what can I say? Happy birthday, what you get? Oh, I got this. And that's the end of the conversation. Cause I can't ask, oh, what did you do for the day? Cause like, I did nothing for the day. I'm stuck at home, everything's locked down. Kathleen's point here is brilliant. I was reading something recently in, in the New York Times, which described, the kind of phase that we're going through or have been going through over the last 12 months as this period of languishing. And it's not where you're necessarily down or depressed, but there's a joylessness or a nothingness to it. And the risk with languishing for long periods of time is that we become indifference, indifferent to the indifference, if that makes sense, or kind of apathetic. And, you know, what Kathleen's describing here as that kind of 
I guess social avoidance uh, was part and parcel of many of our experiences over the 12 months that has just passed. And she really captures how difficult it has been. I think she's done that really well. Next, I spoke to Mira about her experiences of trying to manage this languishing phase where we have very little social currency. And here's what she had to say. It's been, yeah, it's been difficult to try and find things to talk about. Um, But I just love doing things with my friends online, Um, like having calls with my friend and uh, showing each other around our houses or um, doing something together whilst on a call. You don't have to always be talking to someone to to feel connected. And um, yeah, I mean, as well, playing games online, I think that is something that's really fun. Um, Yeah, I mean, conversations have been awkward sometimes when there's absolutely nothing to talk about. Um, But you don't have to always talk. You can do something and just just hang out and enjoy each other's company, even if it's through a screen. (laughs) The next question I asked the young people was, what was their experience of being parented over the last 12 months? And I asked them more specifically, what did their parents do over the last 12 months that was helpful or unhelpful in terms of making the experience more tolerable or better for them? And I first asked Nisha and Kiva, and here's what they had to say. I feel like it's definitely brought us closer as a family. It definitely has. Um, I hate to admit it when she's there looking at me, but... <laughs> <laughs> it definitely definitely has you know like last summer it was a really really strict lockdown um but like we played family board games and like you know I'm kind of like I loved my own space and I love to be in my own little bubble in my room where a bag of crisps and Netflix on my laptop but um I definitely did engage more with my family because I had nothing else to do but it, it definitely helped to bring us closer, you know. It was it was good. It was it was good. The next person I asked was Mira, and here's what she had to say about how helpful her parents had been over the last year. I guess it comes from encouragement from people around me. Um, I'm really grateful that my mum has been very encouraging um, and just optimistic. And I think I get some of that optimism from her because, um, yeah, I mean... I guess I have no, I'm not always positive. Um, I always have days when, you know, I just feel like the lockdown's never going to end. But um, we, we get through these days, like everyone has bad days, but um, they don't last forever. And um, you just have to get through them and, and keep remembering that, um, you know, the end of the lockdown is coming and we will have so many amazing experiences once it's over. So I, I guess that's what keeps me going. And it is hard to find motivation, but um, you just got to, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I love this piece from Mira because she captures the ambivalence of how the last year has been and where we did. And we all have oscillated between, you know, maybe thinking a bit more optimistically that we'll get through this and we're in this together. And then maybe swapping over to feeling a bit more fatalistic. And, you know, when is this ever going to end and can I do this? And I think, that flipping between optimism and perhaps pessimism has been utterly normal over the last 12 months. These are extremely difficult circumstances. And I think just Mira makes a beautiful point here in terms of trying to capture the ambivalence of trying to be optimistic when sometimes it's difficult, but she captures the idea of having two competing emotions existing within us at the one time, which I think is something we all struggle with. The next question I asked was, given the experience of the last year, 
what advice had the young people or teenagers to give their parents about things that they did well and things that didn't go so well? And the first person I asked was Kathleen. And here's what she had to say. To parents listening, I definitely say, one thing that I think my mom really struggled with is that she's a fixer. If I have an issue, she wants to fix it. And I kind of, one thing that I'd really say to parents is ask if your kid, like, if do they want advice or do they just want someone to listen to? Because like, that was the thing that like, I'd come down to my mom and I'd be like, oh, this is stressing me out. And she'd be like, oh, well, you know, we can do this thing together. I was like, no, ma'am, I don't want you to fix it. I know how to fix it. I know how to go forward and to help myself. I just want you to like sit there and like give me a hug when I get sad or like just like be in my corner. Even if you never fight, just sit there in my corner and then I know that if I need you, you're there. I think Kathleen hits us on a really difficult part of parenting journey, especially parenting teenagers where they don't necessarily maybe want you to fix, but they do want you to be there. It's about availability as opposed to solution. Um, and I think that's hard as parents to allow young people to find their own way through something with support without diving in and trying to fix it for them. The next person I spoke to about how they experienced their parenting journey over the last 12 months was Kiva. And she had some really interesting insights as well. And here's what Kiva had to say. And um, whenever I was feeling sad, you know, I'd like have that one-on-one talk with my mom and just like ease my emotions to be a bit happier. And um, yeah, and definitely spend more time together has been really helpful because it's brought us more closer as well as a family. Like when it was normal times, it's just, we'd just be on the go all the time and we wouldn't have enough family time. So we definitely have more family time and we sit down for meals together and have a chat, you know. Great point here by Kiva, where she talks about the realignment of our importance of family time and even just having meals together. And again, these things we may not perceive young people to have gotten anything from, but it appears from this, the feedback the young people are giving now that they actually did. The next question I asked the young people was, What's the difference between encouragement and nagging? It's a repeated issue that comes up from parents all the time that they feel that they're encouraging, but their child or teenager feels like they're nagging. And so when I had the young people in the room, I asked them, what's their opinion on this? And here's what Nisha had to say. I think like, you know, I feel like, well, for me anyways, if she kept asking me and was like, you know, she kept asking me and I kept saying no, like I'd feel really bad then if like I kept saying no to her. But I think if she was asking me and then getting annoyed when I said no, I'd be kind of a bit like, oh, just go away, like leave me alone. Whereas if she was like asking me all the time and then just being, and I said no, and she was just okay with that, you know, kind of let me do it on my own, you know, just let me do it when I want to do it. Interesting observation here by Nisha that it's oftentimes a timing issue that the parent may want the young person to do whatever it is that they're suggesting according to their timeline and the young person has a different timeline and they're kind of saying, well, just don't make me adhere to what the the pace that you want me to do this. I may take a little bit longer, but I'll get there. Again, I think that's a difficult parenting task to do, which is to surrender our own idea of promptness or timelines or doing things in an expedient way. But Nisha makes us all think about that, I guess. The second person to make a comment on this is Mira, and she has a similar view on the timing, whether parents are expecting young people to adhere to their timeline as opposed to some sort of a collaboration. I think that's a very difficult thing to to not nag. Um, I guess just, you know, approach them and and just, 
yeah, just tell them um, what might benefit them in the, in that situation. Like, come on, let's go for a walk. You will feel better if you're feeling a bit down right now. Um, but if if they just seem like they they don't want to do it or they might want to do it a bit later, um, it's okay to to step back and just allow them a bit of space and and time, um, and and don't force anything. I mean, um, there is always the next day and. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to to step back from from any situation. Another interesting observation from Mira is how being asked to do something or encouraged to do something, or if the parent commits to doing it with them, so let's go for a walk, is heard very differently to I think you should go for a walk. And again, as adults, we have to you know look at our role in terms of our role modeling and. You know, sometimes empowering young people means getting involved ourselves. So some really useful, simple pieces of advice for parents here in terms of managing teenagers who maybe are struggling a little bit to self-motivate. The next thing I asked the young people was what was their highlight of 2020-21? And Kiva had some really interesting stories to tell about this one. Back in the first lockdown in April, one night we were sitting at the kitchen table and Nisha was like, oh my God, look at this really cute puppy we found on Dundeal. And she was like, oh my God, we should get it. But so mom, we took a lot of convincing from mom and she finally gave in, but we texted mom and it didn't have available. So we kept looking for more. And the next day we woke up and I found this wonderful dog and it was a girl, so me, Dad, and Nisha drove out, and I was full of tears with joy. And now we have a dog, Maisie. So, so that was that's the highlight—a new addition to the family. Yeah, uh, over lockdown, uh, I love that. It's amazing the difference the dog is is making to people, especially over this year. They really have been lifesavers. So that's a lovely, that's a lovely story. Uh, and how about you, Nisha? Would it be Maisie or was there other stuff going on? Oh, definitely Maisie, yeah. She's great. She's still here. <laughs> it wasn't like a lockdown purchase that you had to throw out at the end of summer. <laughs> She's still here going. The dog down. is for life, not just for lockdown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely Maisie, but then, you know, kind of summer at the end when they eased the restrictions a bit more, you know, we were able to go out and sit in the park and just get Chinese with your friends, you know, it was good. That was good. That was definitely the best part of it. The next thing I asked the young people was when lockdown is over and when we can return to some form of normality, what are they looking forward to most? And here's a quiva I have to say. Um, I can't wait to go back shopping. And <laughs> <laughs> um, um, like seeing my friends, like, being able to actually interact with them socially and you know it's and yeah it'll be good and I miss that so it would be good to get back to family days as well like seeing my family and maybe on the Sunday going out for dinner so lots of the simple things yeah so you were going on about Spain and France and all that earlier on, but it's actually just going out to dinner on a Sunday with the family is what you're looking forward to the most. Isn't that lovely? The next person I asked about what they're looking forward to was Mira. Everything, really. I'm looking forward to um, just being able to to walk down the street and not be 
you know, worried about any virus or anything. Um, I'm looking forward to traveling and just seeing new things and, and meeting new people. Um, and yeah, just, just even just going to school. I, I know that sounds a bit funny, but, you know, um, just normality that see, like we, we kind of took advantage of it really. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to um, just being with people and yeah, being in a, in a crowd as well. Uh, I think that's just so, it's something we definitely took advantage of. As some of the young people had returned to school by the time we did their interviews, I'd asked them a little bit about what it's been like being back after a four-month layoff. And here's what they had to say. First up is Kiva. Um, no, I think my teachers um, definitely have been, she's actually really calm, you know, but it's good to just show an example that there's nothing to really to be worried about because, like, we don't know what's going to happen, but, like, not to be worrying about it, you know, because it will turn out good in the end, you know? And, um, yeah, so... So she's kind of setting the tone and the atmosphere and, and it's good, it feels relaxed. Yeah. And Nisha, how about you? Um, Again, majority not just that we don't want to get you suspended or expelled, right? Um, no, majority of my teachers, they're okay. You know, we obviously have to sanitize and do all that crack, but there's, there is a few teachers that are like crazy about it, like very OTT, but you just kind of have to... Just nod and smile. <laughs> if you are around somebody who's who's in a position of kind of, you know, authority and they're nervous about it, how does it make you feel as young people? Like if you're with somebody who's kind of peppering and, and jumping and, and kind of standing back in two meters and stuff, do you find it kind of the anxiety can be a bit contagious too? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, you'd be, you'd be more nervous around them and you'd be like, oh, like, am I too close to them right now? Like, are they going to like, feel a bit afraid of me right now you know it's just like did I clean like my table properly and all that because they definitely give out about it but yeah it's just it's like I don't know you know it's just so calm people make you feel calm and anxious people yeah make you feel what a brilliant point here by both Nisha and Kiva about how the adults in the room can set the temperature for how it feels and again the importance to remember the contagion effect of anxiety and how it is something that we have to obviously be vigilant without kind of being, as Nisha says, OTT. Um, and as the adults in the room, we do have an important responsibility to manage that as effectively as possible. And finally, Mira gives us one nugget of advice around the tensions that will inevitably boil over uh, with teenagers and parents over the lockdown period. And she gives us a real insight into how she feels it's best to manage those. When when we feel um, angry, we just let it out on whoever's around us uh, in any situation, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's really hard to try and, you know, keep that anger within or frustration. Um, but I think it's definitely an effort that, that needs to be put in um, because, you know, especially since everyone's mental health is, is fragile right now, um, just to not have these these arguments is is a really hard thing to do, but it's also a really important thing. So yeah. And when those arguments happen, would you suggest that it's a good idea not to take them personally? Absolutely, yes. Um, I think you know things will be said, but you know um, everyone is just struggling right now. So um, yeah, don't take anything personally. I think um, from teenagers. 
um, just after the argument, just take a bit of time away um, and then maybe approach them and, and talk it out and just see what really is bothering them. Um, because more often than not, it's not anything personal. It's just that, you know, we're fed up with lockdown. <laughs> And that's a fantastic way to end the end the argument, Timmy, end the discussion. Because you know, I, I think you're right. I don't think any argument is ever resolved in an argument. It's yeah. when we revisit it when we're calm. Um, so you know, it's not about you know resolving the issue as we're shouting at each other in the landing. You know, about who stretched my top. What a wonderful way for Mira to end the episode. There, don't take it personally. I think we could all take. Note from that advice, I think over the last 12 months there has been times when we have all been stretched to our maximum when it comes to irritability and patience. And sometimes we need to give our families what they need as opposed to what they deserve in terms of an armour in the shoulder, socially distant piece of support or whatever it might be. And for if you have teenagers in your bubble, I hope that this episode has helped you to better understand what they're going through and to better understand what the last 12 months have been like for them. I think sometimes we talk about the young people's voice and and it's in a kind of a tokenistic way. And I think what we've tried to do in this episode is to actually give young people a real voice, to give them a platform to share their experiences of anger and upset and to allow them to feel somewhat a little bit better heard than maybe they did beforehand. And without further ado, I want to really thank all my contributors, Cole, Mira, Kathleen, Kiva and Nisha for their fabulous time and commitment to contributing to this episode and really giving us insights and honesty uh, that I know has helped me as a parent and I hope it has helped you too. And as always, if you have anything that you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can get through to us on askingforaparent.gmail.com or to the Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. We'll have a listener's questions episode next week and then the final instalment of our Young Persons episode will be the week after where we can concentrate on the 18 to 25 group and I'm really looking forward to that. And what I'd say to you is don't miss any of these episodes because they really do offer something different in each one. Uh, And again, my thanks to my young contributors today, to Cole, to Nisha, Kiva, Mira and Kathleen and thank you for listening and downloading and sharing the episodes. We are continued gratitude on all of those things. But until next time, take care, stay safe and bye for now.